Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. We're going to jump in to part three of Back to Genesis this morning. Uh, We've now covered five chapters of Genesis and two lessons. Granted, we didn't cover all of that. We skipped a lot. And we're going to skip a whole lot more today. And the goal here is not to cover all of Genesis between now and Easter. It's just to give you a taste for the fact that Jesus is there. He's there in Genesis. He's there throughout the whole Old Testament. Before then, we have him on the world stage, entered as flesh and blood. God's word made flesh. So, uh, I want to... I wanna Set the stage, uh, if we can have that genealogy bar chart, and if I can find my, uh, see if my laser's going to work, I may have left it on last time. No, I didn't, how about that? Okay, so this is Adam. Each one of these is a bar chart of one of the patriarchs' lifetime. The red part is uh, how much he lived until the, the next one was born. But this is Adam, this is Abraham. This is where we're going to be today. There's, you can't see it well, but there's a dotted line right here that represents the Great Flood. And you see these folks lived a long time back here. These folks lived shorter and shorter periods of time here. There's a very scientific reason why that is after the Great Flood, and we don't have time to go into it, but I'd love to talk to you about that. That is a fun, fun subject for me. We don't have time for that, but I, what I wanted to point out with this is, see how long Adam lives up here? 830 years. I know you can't read those. You don't need to, but this is Adam. Who's like, he, he overlaps Methuselah, the longest living man here, Methuselah. Uh, that's not right. That's 800 plus whatever number is there, because this number is right. Because uh, Methuselah lived 969 years. He died the very year that the Great Flood occurred. But I want you to see that Methuselah could have learned about creation directly from Adam. All right? And I want you to see that Noah, Noah's life overlapped Methuselah's, so he could have gotten the story of all of this back here directly from Methuselah, who got it directly from Adam. And then I want you to see that Noah's life actually overlaps Abraham's. Abraham could have heard directly from Noah about what happened way back here. Just, just some interesting things about how, you know, uh, you know, Moses, who's still beyond the timeline we're showing here. Let's go to the next slide. So here's Adam. Here's Moses. That timeline went, the previous timeline went from Adam to Abraham. And then we have Moses. Each of these little persons is, a, is one generation that is named in the Bible, all right? So, uh, and then, of course, here's Jesus. So this is the entire Old Testament right here. And, and of course, this is the ch- church age, the New, New Testament. 
about 4,000 years here, somewhere around 2,000 years here. Just, that's just to orient you where we are because we're going to be uh, at Abraham this morning, right there. All right, so let's start. We're going to go, uh, your, your notes page starts in James. Feel free to go and check that out yourself. For the sake of time, we're going to skip James. And we're going to go straight to Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 8. And in Acts, uh, where we're entering the story here is Stephen was arrested. This is, this is not long after Christ died, resurrected. Uh, Peter had his Pentecost sermon uh, the disciples were sent out to, to make disciples of the world. Uh, Stephen is one of those who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now he has been arrested for blasphemy, and he's on trial, and he's given an opportunity to speak. And that's where we're picking up right here in chapter 7 of Acts, beginning in verse 2. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Notice that, our father Abraham. That's going to be important. While he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this, this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs, which we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. So Stephen chose to use his opportunity to defend himself to school the most learned men in Israel. Here's this young, bold, new believer, obviously filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching to the holy guys. Wow, I, I, that's, that's just hard to even imagine. Uh, and he chooses to use his sermon to school them on the fact that their entire history, the entire history of Israel, starting with Abraham, was for the purpose of bringing forth the Holy One, who is Jesus, who is who he is proclaiming, and what the reason why he is at trial, blaspheming because he's claiming Jesus is God, and all of their holy scriptures says he is. So what's the big deal here? <laughs> well, if that wasn't enough to anger him, his closing statement 
was. So we're going to skip down to verses 52 and 53 and see his closing statement of his oral argument. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but not, have not obeyed it. Wow, that ought to get him off the hook. <laughs> no, it didn't. At this, they dragged him out of the city and stoned him. As he faced death for exposing the truth, he saw a vision of Jesus standing before the right hand of God. And what he did next is just so powerful. He prayed just like Jesus did. Right before Jesus let out his last breath, he prayed just like Jesus Father, don't hold these sins against them. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Stephen was the first person to die for his faith in Jesus. He started his testimony with Abraham. His testimony before these holy men who just couldn't get it right, just couldn't understand. He started with Abraham. There's our time portal. We've been using a time portal from the New Testament to go back to Genesis. There it is. We're going to go back to Genesis, and we're going to enter into Abraham's life there. Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, devotes how many? 13 chapters to Abraham. There are 50 chapters in Genesis. He devotes 13 of those chapters to Abraham. Abraham is important in our faith, but even more so important in the Jewish faith, right? So let's, uh, let's, let's get a hold of Abraham here. Why was he so special, so important? Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read the first three verses there before we skip forward and and look at a few other places. We'll end up in Genesis chapter 22. That's where we'll spend most of our time. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, just an explanation, he's Abram early in his life. God renames him Abraham later. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And, get this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. How do you think that's going to happen? Well, Jesus Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. He is the way that God is going to use Abraham to bless the entire world. For us to fully appreciate the gravity of the event that we're going to end up taking up in chapter 22, I need to provide you some more of the backstory of Abraham. Okay? So, 
In the verse we just read, Abraham, Abram, he was called Abram from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 17. Then in chapter 17, Abraham becomes Abram becomes Abraham. You know, I, I listened to my message from last week and the week before, and I've noticed I have a tendency to use the wrong name once in a while. I'm, I'm guessing you guys straighten that out in your, in your minds because uh, I, I, I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> anyway, at, in chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old, and Sarai is 90. These are some old folks. Uh, Sarai had been barren all those years. They still did not have a child by Sarai. However, at an earlier time, Sarai, in her barrenness, took the matters into her own hands. You know, if God's not going to do this, I, I've got to figure a way to get this done so he can keep his promise. So he sends her, she sends her handmaid in to Abraham. And they, Ishmael is the byproduct of that wrong way of doing things, right? So Ishmael is born. The household kind of gets topsy-turvy because there's some jealousy going on between the wife and the handmaid. And, you know, Ishmael's getting treated like a royalty. And anyway, she goes... Uh, uh, Sarai goes to Abraham, complains. Abraham says, she's, she's your servant. Do with her as you please. Well, she was rather harsh. She sent Hagar and Ishmael away. They're gone. And that's kind of the state of things. We don't know how many years passed between then and... Actually, we do. About 17, I think it's either 13 or 17. Anyway, there have been that many years in, in when, when the verses we just read occur, and God provides them this divine birth announcement that they're, they're, they're going to be pregnant. So we're going to pick up in verse 15. Or wait, let's see. Yes, let's... No, we haven't read ver, uh, Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. Let's go there. I was just preparing the way. Now let's go there. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, no, Yes, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is the birthing of a nation. 
This is Israel that God is birthing through Abraham. By the way, there are no Jews prior to Abraham. Abraham is the first Jew. And it is his descendants, not all of his descendants, but the descendants through Isaac, who are, those, that's the Jewish, become the Jewish nations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then the 12, the 12 sons become the 12 tribes. So this is, this is God's land grant to, that will become the nation of Israel. Doesn't happen immediately. It takes hundreds of years. But this is, this is what Israel looks back to as their deed. This is the deed for the, what became the nation Israel. Let's, let's pick up in verse 15 of chapter 17. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of pe kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. By the way, Isaac means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Abram's 99, by the time, uh, uh, by the time Isaac's born, he's 100, right? Sarah's 90, when God restates his promise to Abraham. And re, he, he puts in, in, in Hebrew, the letter he adds to each of their names is a he, a he, which is kind of like our H, okay? So in English, we see an H added to both of their names. The, I talk, we talked last week, the, each of the Hebrew alphabet has a meaning, and he means breath or spirit. So, what do you think that means? God puts his spirit in the names of each of these individuals. That's, that's what the whole renaming was about. From this point on, you, you guys are a special couple. My spirit is upon you. I've even put my spirit in your name from this day forward. Wow. That's, that's a pretty special renaming. Their story is proof that God is never late. God is never late. Now, too often, we either think he's late or he's not there at all. And we take matters into our own hands, and often we get them pretty messed up, as Sarah did, right? We're still dealing with the consequences of that mess up, by the way the offspring of Ishmael uh, and the fighting between them and the Israel and the whole world for that matter. We're still dealing with that today. So be careful getting out ahead of God, would you? 
God will act in his time and in such a way that leads us to become more mature and more faithful to him. Abraham and Sarah were made stronger and more faithful as God fulfilled his promises to them in his time and in his way. And so they received this marvelous, divinely delivered birth announcement, right? Does that remind you of something in the New Testament? In fact, there are two divinely delivered pregnancy birth announcements, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth received an announcement that they were, they were old like, like Abraham and Sarah. They were well beyond childbearing years and let Elizabeth bore a child. Who was that child? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus Christ. He was to prepare the way. The other wondrous, divinely provided birth announcement, of course, was to Mary and to Joseph, leading to, you know, the immaculate conception of Jesus. So even the way that Isaac comes into the world is already pointing forward to Jesus. It's, it's just amazing patchwork that God has put together in Scripture. And we're going to see, we're going to see more of that this morning. Let's go to, we're finally getting to our main chapter. Chapter 22, we're going to start at verse 1 in chapter 22, and we're going to stop and go uh, through about, I don't know, 18 or 19 verses uh, there in chapter 22. So first two verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Wow, if only we were all listening well enough to respond. Here I am, as soon as God calls on us. Here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, speak to me. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. There is so much in that sentence, folks. We're going to talk about that sentence for, for a while here. Take your son, your only son. Now, we know that Abraham has another son, right? It's, it's Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the son of the promise, you see, so that's not the one God's talking about here. Ishmael was, came into the world through getting ahead of God. So God is talking here specifically about Isaac, and he considers Isaac the only son of the promise of Abraham. So that wording, take your son, your only son, though, is going to be reminiscent of something we see in the New Testament. You can probably imagine what that would be. God is essentially saying, take Isaac, the only son of my promise, and sacrifice him to me. Wow. I mean, he just, it seems like it was just, Abraham, you just gave him to me not that long ago. You're going to take him, you want me to give him back? How are you going to fulfill your promise? Somehow, Abraham has enough faith to believe that God can do this now at this point in his life. He's finally figured things out, stopped taking things into his own hands. There's another phrase in there. 
whom you love. The son whom you love. Believe it or not, here we are in chapter 22 of Genesis, the first time the word love appears in the Bible. First time. Love. Your son whom you love. There's another son who's very beloved over in the New Testament. It's not, it's not by accident this is the first mention of love because it's pretty, it's pretty important because he's, he, he's pointing us to another beloved son farther down the line. In fact, let's look at John 3.16. I want you to, I, you, most of you have this memorized, it's in your heart, it's in your mind, but I want you to look at it in light of what we've just been reading and talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see what's going on here with this story of Abraham and Isaac? It's a it's like a dress rehearsal for the crucifixion. Literally. It's, it, gets, it, gets, it only gets better, folks. So one more observation. This is amazing. Uh, region of Moriah. He says, go to the region of Moriah. Region of Moriah, that's where Jerusalem is. That's where Jerusalem is. The mountain I will show you. God doesn't want this happening on just any mountain. I'm going to show you the right mountain. There's something very special about that mountain. I want you to do your sacrifice there. On that very mountain is where Solomon built his temple. Now, that's a special place. That's a special place. Now, according to the commentary I've been using for a lot of this, there was actually a slightly higher place than Mount Moriah, where the temple is built, not far in the distance. He makes a really good case for that being Golgotha. So, it's easy to see that. Is God leading Abraham to the very spot on this earth where Christ will be crucified? in order to point forward in time. By the way, there's approximately 2,000 years between when Abraham is sacrificing Isaac and when Jesus ultimately is sacrificed by God himself on the cross. Some amazing things. You couldn't, you can't dream this up. This was written, you know, 2,000 years before it happened. And it happened in real life to Abraham and Isaac. Amazing, amazing. Another little interesting fact here. So, well, we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Somehow he recognized, whatever, hey, this is the place. This is the place God's taught me, brought me to. 
Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Wow. What's he thinking? He's supposed to, he's supposed to be sacrificing Isaac, and yet he says, we will come back to you. Hmm. Keep that in mind. Isaac, so he, he piles the wood on Isaac's back. Isaac's carrying the wood that he's going to be sacrificed on. Who carried a chunk of wood that he's going to be sacrificed on? Jesus did. Jesus did. Just an interesting little fact there. Notice in that prior verse, verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb. This was his response to Isaac. He didn't want to say, well, Isaac, you're the, you're the sacrifice. <laughs> you're the one. Uh, God will himself provide the lamb. Abraham, without even knowing it, is prophesying what is going to immediately happen, but he's also prophesying what's going to happen 2,000 years later. God will provide the lamb. Who do we know of as the lamb of God? It's Jesus. Jesus provided the lamb, the only one sufficient forever sacrifice for our sins. It's Jesus. And yet this is all being played out 2,000 years earlier in a way that it can be put down so that it can bolster our faith here and now. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, Isaac is not the small child that we often think of. He's not a little boy. Uh, Isaac is more than likely between 20 and 30 years old. He knows what's going on, okay? He's very aware what's going on. And yet, and he has to be going along with this. How else could Abraham have bound him and got him on the altar? Isaac is trusting his father. Trusting him that somehow something's going to work out here. He doesn't know what, but he's trusting. Let's go to verse 19. No, I'm sorry. Hebrews. Hebrews 11, verse 19. Yes. This gives us some insight into what Abraham would have been thinking at this time. Interestingly, that in somehow the New Testament writers uh, reported more detail about this sacrifice than what, than what uh, Moses did. Here we find this statement. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, Abraham was thinking, I can sacrifice my son because God's capable of bringing him back to life. And if he's going to bring me descendants through Isaac, then he'll bring him back to life. That's why he was able to say earlier, we will return to you, to the servants who are waiting at the bottom of the hill. He had a faith that they, he was going to, one or another, Isaac was coming down the mountain. So, let's, let's move on where we left off, verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Once again, he's listening. Here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham didn't withhold his son. God did not withhold his son. God was confirmed in his choice of Abraham right here. Choice of Abraham to birth the nation Israel. The nation Israel that would birth his son, Jesus. Who would not be spared as Isaac was. Continue in verse 13. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and, he, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son... I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham and Isaac had just unwittingly enacted the future sacrifice of God's one and only Son. Praise be to God. How powerful is that? We've been blessed beyond measure through the promise that God made Abraham. Our blessed Savior and Demas Jesus is, is that blessing who would die on the cross 2,000 years roughly after this dress rehearsal, if you can. Jesus, like Isaac, carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus, like Isaac, went willingly trusting his father. Jesus, unlike Isaac, dies that day on that wood, fulfilling God's plan for the redemption of mankind. For your redemption, for my redemption. In 12 days, we're going to come to what we call Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday? Good Friday is the day that sacrifice that God made of his one and only son occurred. Jesus died on that rugged cross, on that piece of wood. On our behalf... He was the substitutionary offering, just like that lamb back there caught in the thicket was the substitutionary offering back then. Jesus becomes the substitutionary offering for us. You see, we're the ones that belong on the cross. 
right? Jesus didn't. He did absolutely nothing to deserve any kind of punishment, but he took our punishment on himself. And God, in his greatness, performed this act through Abraham and Isaac to bolster our faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Have you acknowledged that Jesus did that for you? Have you ever personally acknowledged that Jesus died for you? Have you ever accepted that, processed that, and come back to him and said, I want to I live for you. You bought me at the price of your life. I'm yours now. If you have not done that, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can live your entire life going to church and assume that you did that. And I, you know, I think a lot, you know, that, I'm not saying you're not saved if you haven't done that. You may have done it subconsciously, whatever, but there's no substitute for driving a stake in the ground on a particular day that you can go back to and say, on March 26, 2023, I made a decision. And Satan, you can't take that away from me. I'm saved. And you can't convince me otherwise because I made a decision on that day. So if that's you and you need to make that decision, I don't care if you've been at church all your life. If you, if you need to drive that stake in the ground so Satan can't rob you of the knowledge of your salvation, as the worship team comes forward and they begin their song, I just invite you, I'm going to stand over here on, on, on stage on the side, just join me up here. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Just your presence on the stage with me will be enough of a testimony that you're making today, that day, when you say, Jesus, I know that you died for me. I want to live for you. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.